Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Josh from Edge of NFT. We've got a great episode for you today. Why did the World Wildlife Foundation choose to work with our guest today to use NFTs to help save the planet and its wildlife? And how is Tiger King using NFTs to make money from jail? And what are some of the best do-good answers we've heard to that question of what would you buy if you could buy anything in the world? Find out about all this and more on today's episode of Edge of NFT. And don't forget to head over to edgeofnft.com to sign up for our newsletter and dive further down the rabbit hole. Hey, this is John O'Sullivan from Carbon Base and Project Arc. And if you want direct access to the top 1% in NFTs today and what will stand the test of time, you should be listening to the Edge of NFT podcast and my good friends, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Max Song, founder and CEO of Carbon Base, and John O'Sullivan, Carbon Base's business development manager. Carbon Base is a Hong Kong-based climate startup building data and blockchain tools with enterprise solutions for measuring, managing, and reducing carbon emissions. Carbon Base got its start as part of the Miracle Plus Accelerator program, formerly Y Combinator China, with an acceptance rate of 0.9%, as well as New World's Impact Commons SDG Accelerator. Max brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to his role with Carbon Base. He has worked as a venture partner at Pacific Century Group and a data scientist in Silicon Valley. He is also a graduate of the Schwartzman Scholars Program at Tsinghua University and earned a Bachelor's of Science in Applied Math Biology from Brown University. In addition, Max currently serves as the Asia Director of the Kairos Society, a global network of youth entrepreneurs. A little bit about John. John holds degrees in international development, social innovation and globalization, business and development. John has worked in a number of roles centered around international development, social entrepreneurship and indigenous rights across Canada, Sri Lanka, Kenya and Europe. He also played a crucial role in the creation of Project Arc, which helps to save wildlife through the collection of unique NFTs. Very appropriate guests for our show. Welcome, guys. Yeah, guys. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. I guess, Max, we got a chance to meet at the DeFi Summit, and this was a topic that we were excited to have on the show because people love to talk about the environmental challenges of creating minting NFTs and crypto in general. And you guys are not only sort of addressing those challenges, but the broader issues around carbon emissions. So. Tell us a little bit more about what drew you to this set of topics and got you into the intersection of science and venture investing and climate change. Thank you so much, Josh, Ethan, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. And John and I are very excited to share with you our journey and getting to this point. I would want to preface this by saying that you know we're living through extraordinary times. Seattle, where some of my friends and relatives live, just went through a heat wave that killed off maybe 100 people in a city that's not used to having weather above you know, 25 degrees. 
And across the world, we're seeing unprecedented amounts of environmental disasters become common day news. So what's happening behind the scenes, in our opinion, is that the entire carrying capacity of the planet actually is being challenged by the industrial activity the last 200 years of human revolution and in terms of mobilizing the energy stored in fossil fuels. And we're just beginning to see the effects of this. And simultaneously, we also have this crazy technology that is the blockchain crypto digital asset sweeping the world and being able to now touch individually the lives of billions of people with very little intermediation. And so we see ourselves kind of playing this interesting role between these two things. On one hand, this revolutionary technology that's now accumulated market cap of a trillion plus dollars. On the other hand, perhaps the greatest challenge on the survival of the human species. And crucially at the nexus here is the ability for us to recognize value. Because so much of the way that we calculate our GDP, our profits, our personal net worth comes from the store of money. And money has a fascinating background history where the US dollar that we use today is intricately tied to the exportation and utilization of fossil fuels, specifically petroleum. And if we want to actually change the way that we value things, we need to start from the base layer. And so the cryptocurrency revolution, the NFT sort of explosion actually gives us now tools to redefine value. And that's really the journey we're on. So myself, I come from a background in technology where I studied a lot of machine learning and computer science in, in California and worked there. I went to school at Brown University where half the population went to Occupy Wall Street. The other half you know, went on to become heads of NGOs and other sustainability sort of roles across you know, major industries. And then I came to Asia in 2016. I was very lucky to actually write a master's thesis as part of the first class of these program called Schwarzman Scholars, which was sort of started between Tsinghua University, kind of like the MIT of China, and then the founder of Blackstone. And he wanted to build something that was similar to the roads back in Oxford in 1900, except it was more tailored to the role that China would play and the challenges it will receive from, you know, sort of a rising China and sort of rest of the world. And I decided to actually focus my research topic specifically on green finance and climate change policy, because I found that that was actually the one thing that no matter what your geopolitical you know, views are, what your religious beliefs are, what your ethnic ties are, like climate change is really going to wreck all of us. And so this is kind of like in the absence of alien invasions, the thing that will bring us to the planetary scale of consideration for what we need to do together as a species. And what I found in my studies was very bleak, that we actually are way further along the reckoning that, that, than you know, we're sort of commonly talking about. And the things we're seeing today, the things that come up in the news are just literally the tip of the iceberg the giant iceberg that is a systematic change happening underneath the sort of the way that the weather system works. And then just fast forward, you know, I spent a few years doing investments because I sort of had an inkling that in order actually to be a serious player in this space, you need to understand how money works, right? Most of us actually on the receiving end of money, you need to understand how the ultimate allocators at capital actually decide decisions they make so that you can then figure out if you can reroute some of that capital towards things that actually, you know, touch the world. And uh, I was very lucky actually to work for a a multi-billion dollar family office where I was helping them look at the crypto space as it sort of evolved, you know, from 2018 all the way to, to 2020. And it came to see the thing that was happening in the crypto space actually is providing a set of tools that would help us create new conceptions of value. And I'll come back to that in a very concrete detail in a second. Then I guess a few pivotal experiences we had. One is in 2019, December, I had a chance to go to the UN Climate Change Conference. This is the thing that meets once a year, every year, where all 190 member countries of the world of the UN come together and talk about what we should be doing next. Paris Agreement was signed at the COP21, the 21st conference. I was very lucky to attend the 25th conference. And it was a remarkable feeling because all of us here think that climate change is a problem, right? But we think that there's someone else in the world smarter, better resourced, and more 
capable than us working on this problem today. So, you know, they're going to take care of it. We can work on our, our own job. I went to the place where the people are supposed to be doing that job in the room. And I was terrified to understand that there was not actually like a person in charge. Like there was a smattering of like scientists who like really, you know, accurately could predict with three decimal places how fast the glaciers were melting. And then there was a bunch of sort of diplomats and, and politicians who didn't have the ability to make binding statements at the conference. And there were 50 people, 50 representatives from business in a 4,000 person conference. And so I came out of that really depressed. And I was actually talking to, to John and other folks, friends of mine, before we actually started working together. And I was saying, there is an absence, a vacuum, actually, of change making at the top level in order to actually drive climate change. So we had 25 meetings for the conference of the parties until we actually, you know, today. And we haven't really done much, to be honest. So that was a really impetus of starting this, this entity called Carbon Base. And our goal really is to use machine learning, data science, and blockchain, and all of the other tools we have at our disposal to actually create something useful for, for this. And then just 30 seconds about ARC itself. So we had a very special opportunity to host a, a TED forum with TED Countdown. And the last speaker we had actually was from the WWF. And she told a really compelling story of holding the last living species of a particular animal, uh, or a rhino, like in her hands as it died. And I was saying, we are creating physical scarcity through our actions. And how do we actually represent that in a way that touches the lives of a lot of people around the world? And we saw NFTs actually as being a powerful way. And so that became the genesis of our current work with NFTs. So I'll give the floor back to you, but a little bit of how we got here. It's amazing, man. That It's really cool. And we're so interested in the application of NFTs and blockchain and some of these massive you know, problems we're facing in the world, as opposed to just collectibles of, you know, NBA moments or whatever, which are cool and fun. And we really like that stuff too, but it's so compelling to hear a story like yours, man. Really great. And John, how did you and Max connect originally to to help bring Project Arc forward, which I want to hear about here in a second as well? So I was actually living in Kenya for about a year working with a, it was Nike DFID and USAID on a project to impact the lives of 1 billion girls by the year 2030 by investing in entrepreneurs whose products and services help young women. And Max was speaking at a conference while I was there, and we just hit it off. We spent about three days rocking around Kenya, learning, talking, trying to solve the world's problems over a beer. And, and I just knew in my heart, I was like, this is the guy you got to keep in touch with. So that was about six years ago, and hadn't seen him in person since, but he gave me a call last year, and he said, hey, I started this company. We're trying to save the world. I said, okay, where do I sign? And then here we are. So Project Arc, though, came to be via that TED Talk, where Max, anytime you hear a story of somebody holding the last endangered species in, its, in their hands while they die, it's something that's going to really impact you in the heart, especially something like that's 550 million years old, like a rhino, right? Like it's a dinosaur. And conservation is 100% a human problem. Almost every case, is this is a human problem, and it's going to require human solutions. So Project Arc was destined to, was what we hope to become, this marketplace that directly funds animal and environmental conservation projects around the world, regardless of whether it's above land or under the sea or in the forest or bees, whatever the case may be. If there's a cause to be had, there is a community to be found with it and a story to be told. So we are ultimately looking to create, you know, a triple win scenario between artists that are passionate about telling a story, that want to give back via the power of their art, and of course, want to get paid in the process. And we want to connect those people with collectors that are purpose-driven, that want to know that they're creating some positive impact and see that impact via the transparency of the blockchain with their purchases, but also have something that's unique and valuable and hopefully will increase in value on the secondary market. 
And then, of course, the third part of this, you know, triple win scenario is the projects themselves. We've spoken now to everyone from the Jane Goodall Institute to the WWF to Africa Peace Parks to the Global Ocean Coalition. We've spoken to every corner of the globe, different conservation projects, and every single group is fighting for the same grant funding. They're spending two thirds of their time fundraising sometimes. They are unable to host fundraisers because of COVID. So there's just a massive resource gap. And what NFTs can do, obviously, is help bridge that gap. But at the same time, and this could be arguably more important, it's NFTs and immersive art experiences can be provocative, emotionally evocative, political, inspirational, educational. There's a multitude of things they can do far beyond the traditional commercial of sad, dying animals Then can we have 20 bucks a month for your donation, right? This is something where we can take it from a doom and gloom to a inspiration. And again, all of those other things that we, that we can do with NFTs. I mean, the use case is, is very straightforward with the scarcity of our planet's resources and the scarcity of animals that we love and the rainforest and this concept of NFTs having scarcity in different rarity levels, right? I mean, it's a great interactive sort of show and tell for the global citizen community. 100%. And to, even to add on to that, though, I think that there is a place for all sort of price levels here. We are working with some of the largest NFT artists, and that'll be announced and soon to come, but that we can sell, you know, one NFT for 50,000. That's great. But why not 10,000 NFTs for $50 that can get every man, woman, and child involved in the sphere that they can feel positive about, that can give them lifelong access to things, that can cool art experience. So I think that it's, it's important as well to share in the abundance that like the biodiversity of the world and the, the amount of people that can come into this NFT space that are, as of right now, still don't understand it or still, you know, are apprehensive about it. But I genuinely believe that this cause is one that we can kind of all get behind. It's, it's one of the very few issues in the world that doesn't start a flame war on the internet. Uh, I don't think we anyone who wants to kill endangered species for the for the most part. You got to listen to, I think it was a, a Radio Lab episode about a project where people were, they were selling the rights to kill a one member of an endangered species in order to fundraise, in order to save the rest. A very interesting episode about, I think it's the black rhino is the particular species in question in this episode. So just referencing other podcasts, I also have another podcast, the Run With It podcast, where we bring on successful entrepreneurs to share business ideas. This is actually one of the business ideas that came up on the Run With It podcast, you know, using the blockchain to help manage carbon emissions. And within one of those episodes, we talked about an existing company called Nori, which does something similar to this. You can go to their site, you can purchase credits from those organizations and individuals that are actually capturing carbon, like a farmer, for example, and then offset your own emissions for yourself or your business. How is carbon-based different from a project like Nori? And are you familiar with them? Definitely. So we've watched Nori grow. I actually did a brief stint consulting at CoinList and Nori was a client of CoinList to do a, a little bit of fundraising as well. I really like Nori. I like Nori even more when I found out that they invited Stanley Kim Robinson or Kim Stanley Robinson to give a talk. He's the author of the Red Mars, Green Mars books and also the most recent one called Ministry of the Future which I think if you guys haven't read, it's my like huge advocate book for. It basically talks about the next few years of human history, cryptocurrency, climate change, and the reorganization of the world. And we're living through this book right now. The opening chapter of the book is what happened in Seattle like a few days ago. Is this this what they're calling cli-fi, like climate fiction? 
climate science fiction. Yeah. I think it goes into this bucket, but this is, I think, you know, this is a whole nother level of recent books I've read that sort of, because the way that they reference it, and I think this is actually going to be more feasible than people think, is that they actually have this thing called carbon quantitative easing, which is the ability for central, you know, the, the mandate for central banks to print trillions of dollars that would actually specifically first go to fund climate removal, uh, carbon removal projects, and then trickle down into the rest of the economy. As opposed to right now what happens, which is we print a bunch of money, the first people to get it are the huge financial institutions that have already a lot of cash, and then they decide where that money goes, right? And so there's a lot of background stories there. So what Nori's doing, and so it's, you know, Nori invited the author to come speak at one of their company events. And when I saw this on the Medium post, I was like, these guys are in the know. They're doing the thing that they understand, you know, the blockchain actually is the tool to help try and transform this part. And the way that we see them working is that they're very focused on the agricultural carbon capture part, right? They've signed up a bunch of farmers around North America and actually are empowering them to receive funds from the carbon they store and then try to blockchain, you know, blockchain fight it. And where we are today is on carbon-based side, we're very focused on enterprise. We need to get a bunch of big companies, especially Asian companies, to go through the beginning of the process of understanding the carbon footprint and then help them on the journey of purchasing credits. We found that by and large, you know, a company can buy 50,000 times more credits than an individual can, right? And so there's a sort of, like, if you have limited time and energy, you sort of like try to get one of these clients on board. And so CarbonBase right now is working with the, you know, we helped make the first shipping company carbon neutral in Hong Kong. We're helping a very large real estate company go through a process of labeling their products to be sort of sustainable versus non-sustainable. And then, you know, we have in the pipeline, maybe a municipality that wants to go carbon neutral, and also a very large energy provider. So, so these are sort of like the, the large anchor groups that we work with. But then because we sort of have this desire to really touch the lives of a lot of people, as opposed to only like the, the corporates, Project Arc allows us to sort of do the international thing, right? And, and Johnny has an incredible presence online. He's been able to find, identify and recruit like tens of talented artists to come on and make art you know, on the platform. And specifically, what's interesting is that we're the first group in the world to actually have this working relationship with the WWF. And they, you know, have previously been approached by people who want to donate crypto to them. They've said no because they weren't sure of the source of funds. We had to spend a long time convincing them that we were credible as a counterparty, that we can actually not besmirch their name or lose the reputation that they have in the world. And fascinatingly enough, the WWF actually is one of the four, is one of the founders of one of the four existing carbon registries in the world. So Nori's long-term goal, from what I understand of their market presence, actually is to become a registry because the registry is a really powerful concept. It allows you to become essentially the central bank because you get to decide what projects are worth receiving credits for. Like if you plant this kind of tree, you don't get credits. It's worthless. You plant this other kind of tree, you do get credits. Then there's market incentives to plant the second kind of tree. So that's what the WWF was used, instrumental in creating in the very beginning, 2006, called Gold Standard. And today, that is the Harvard of carbon registries. That is the hardest registry to get into. And that's the one that focuses most exclusively on SDG impact, right? There's windmills that do great work for renewable energy. They don't have a lot of social impact. One ton of CO2 removed for a windmill is about $22 of social impact. One ton of CO2 removed for a cook stove is about $160. And for a biogas digester, a methane digester for using animal poop, turning into clean cooking fuel is about $460. So there's a spectrum upon which the positive externalities of the way that you do CO2 can ripple through the economy you work in. And so what we're doing is, and the reason WWF found us is that they had separately come up with the idea, building on their carbon credit model, of the idea of a wildlife credit, 
why not assign value to the existence of animals the same way that we assign value to the removal of CO2? So that was the internal pilot that they had designed. And we came to them with an idea of launching NFTs. The two sort of met each other in a, and decided to, to become one. And that's really where ARC is today. Yeah, man. No, that's so interesting. There's so many ways to flip the measurement and usage of credits on its head from, like you said, individual animals, vehicles, which we don't really tie that much into, like actual personal usage of vehicles and whatnot. It's always been a really compelling study in my mind of, of really thinking through that and not just relying on uh, the current norm, you know, thinking outside of the box there. But let me ask, man, like there's so many critics of blockchain and its impact on the environment based on the computational needs of proof of work and whatnot. What are your thoughts on that? And what's your response to critics that may say, well, you're focused on, you know, carbon emissions, but you're using blockchain to, to help promote it. Like, how do you reconcile that? Max can probably give a more detailed answer. Again, my background's international development. Maybe I'll let him follow up, but I will tell you about the experience that we had. So nine months ago, or maybe 10, when we first started this, Ethereum and MetaMask was simply where all the collectors live, right? That where What's the cost-benefit analysis here of us trying to raise money for these organizations? So when we went ahead with that, very quickly, we the blowback sort of came, right? And we had done as all the calculations we possibly could about what it would be like to mint 800 NFTs a minute long, this level, da 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 da, da. And we basically figured out that it would be equivalent of a cruise ship going about 25 kilometers. Now, our thought process uh, was, you know, if we could raise a million dollars to pay for, for example, we were in talks with a group called Saving the Survivors. They, they rehabilitate rhinos that are victims of poaching. If we could raise a million dollars to cover the medical bills of these rhinos for a year, whatever the case may be. Are we going to say no because a cruise ship travels 20 kilometers? That was our sort of cost-benefit analysis that we we're having. And at the same time, we had already committed to 5Xing our carbon offsets for this to make sure that we were, in fact, carbon neutral. So what we did was we started really hunting for a solution, right? This is a crazy rodeo. It's hard to figure out which bull to ride. And the proof of stake, like Tezos and Cardano and Polygon, all of these were coming up. So we had a wonderful hire in a, a gentleman named Taha, who's a head of our blockchain development strategy. And he actually went out. He got on Discord. He partnered up with a couple of the Polygon devs a couple of the uh, actually a software engineer from Tesla, and they started working, working around why is it that after the merge with Polygon and OpenSea, could the metadata not display properly? So we found a workaround. We had a code to ourselves. It's pennies for gas fees, 99.8% less emissions as a layer two solution. And in addition, uh, we can mint any size of NFT. So you can put a 10 gigabyte NFT up there if we wanted. And obviously this was quite exciting. I think Taha had about seven job offers in 48 hours just from the news spreading on Discord that we were we had finally somebody had minted properly on OpenSea on Polygon. And so for so this is our solution for now. But one and, and we're quite we're quite happy with it, to be honest with you. It feel, ticks a lot of the boxes off. Now that being said, I think it's pretty fascinating how fast the blockchain community is adapting to the problem of emissions, far faster than any of the banks or the other industries that have taken 30 years to divest and still haven't. So I think it's pretty rich when you see some of the some of the arguments that start, given how fast, you know, Ethereum 2.0 wasn't supposed to come out for years and look at how how fast they're really trying to get that out the door now, right? So I think that's largely because of the emissions question. So at Project Arc, my number one goal is to put money in the pockets of groups that are changing the world. That's the number one goal. And so as new blockchains come along, new opportunities come along, we want to be fairly agnostic as to who we work with, but we are 100% cognizant of the emissions question and we'll always have that front and center because we are very cognizant as well of the optics for the groups that we work with. We certainly wouldn't want to besmirch their name or do anything bad simply for us to go and sell NFTs. So right now we have the layer two polygon solution, but 
any open and currently in, involved in many discussions with other proof of stake blockchains to see what we can do in the future. Yeah, it's been really exciting to see all of the focus on more energy efficient minting over the last few months across so many different projects from Engine to Tezos to Proton. These are all projects we've had on the, the show, and it's great to see this focus. So I have a more fundamental question as we think about your roadmap moving forward and all the different cool things you guys can do. Sort of as we're, as we're going through some reflecting on an experience I had in Thailand with my girlfriend, where she researched diligently the place where we could hang out with elephants that was most appropriate. And these are elephants that had been abused and are now sort of in retirement and just enjoying banana leaves and bananas and having a great time. And we spent the whole day with them. And it was one of the most impactful things I've ever done in my life. How do you translate that type of experience to digital with the projects that you're doing? And, and how do you match the metaverse, the physical world, the digital world together to bring greater awareness to this cause is the question that comes to mind. There's one thing that it's very difficult to do, right? Like a lot of people that struggle to wrap their head around NFT say, well, I can't touch it. It's not tactile. I can't hang it on a wall. I don't understand it. But we live on our phones 90% of the day anyways. And with the VR and AR and gamification, all of these new immersive experiences, I think that there is a way to bring the absolute wildest of places to our doorstep in a far more impactful way. One relationship that we do have is a partnership with Chainlink, where we're developing smart contracts that use their Oracle data sets to create what we want to call living art. So let's say we're supporting those elephants at that refuge in East Asia, and it's raining that day. While the, the NFT of the elephants, it'll rain. If it's the wet season, it'll be lush and green. If it's dry, it'll be dusty. If the herd grows, we could drop a baby in there. So every time you look at your wallet or you look at your, you know, one of those TV screens on the wall with your NFT plan, you can feel some genuine connectivity to it. Now, at the same time, we view the holders of our NFTs as lifelong Project Arc family members. So with that comes increasing access to Let's say you hop on the metaverse and alt VR one day, and we're going to be hosting two indigenous elders from Kenya that'll be talking to you all about how they incorporate modern science with indigenous knowledge and what they're doing to preserve the land in Kenya. We can offer, if you're ever in Kenya, you get a free one day pass to the park. These are the types of things that we can offer people going down the road. As we get more resources, more community, these offerings will become far more robust. But I'm of the opinion that as far and wide as we can possibly go and as innovative as we can possibly go. And anyone who watches this podcast, shoot me a DM. I answer it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm open to any and all ideas and partnerships. Well, that's great to hear. And I think that's the type of thinking that's going to make waves. This refuge, the only way they communicate with me and my girlfriend is Facebook. They have a Facebook group and they post updates on how the elephants are doing. And one of them just passed away recently. And I'm just thinking how cool it would be if they could incorporate NFTs into their community because this nice woman, she posts pictures and she messages people. And there's so many more ways that she could activate her community and keep them motivated to participate in more elephant rescues. Absolutely. And so that's a perfect, I think that'd be a perfect case for a, a POA. You know what I mean? You get your ticket to the refuge, that ticket is your NFT. You scan the QR code, we'll send you the email, you the digital copy, and then you can get edited videos, updates every week of Loana or whatever animal, you know, if you sponsor a specific elephant, you see the feeding process and you get a discount next time you come. It's, NFTs really are the Patreon of 
the art community and potentially business and organizations. It can give you constant access to your consumer to keep them updated on what it is you're doing. You can just airdrop that stuff right to the wallet. I do know that there are some companies as well that can upload memories directly straight to the NFT itself on chain. The sky's the limit on what you can do, but I am a huge proponent of making sure that we don't end our relationship once people buy. That can't be the case, right? Once you buy something, you need to have access to anything and everything else that we have coming down the pipeline. Like right now, we're we're a scrappy young group of under-resourced people new to the space doing our absolute best. And we've got an amazing pipeline of some of the world's best organizations. But it'll take time for us to really create that kind of community curation that really makes NFT sustainable. So as much as we can do that, that's the name of the game for us. Yes, definitely. It's so great to hear about what you guys are working on and your passion for it and to leverage this technology that I think we all believe will become ubiquitous for some real social good. Really appreciate that. Max, did you have something? So in order to sort of create the immersive part of things, we've also been thinking about what it takes to build like a giant virtual arc, right? So like Project Arc is named after the biblical reference to Noah, who sort of you know, put all the animals he could and saved them from extinction. And so we see ourselves sort of on that similar journey, but you know, using the tools of technology at this time. And one of the sort of digital creatives that we're working with is called, is this company's called Chicken Waffle. And what he's done is actually create this mad scientist studio that's able to produce VR and AR experiences. He's done it for Lady Gaga for the weekend and you know that whole sort of celebrity set. And now he's sort of doing what he wants to do. And he actually has a bunch of huge VR spaces already built that just don't exist on the metaverse. He's actually not a crypto person. He's actually just a digital, you know, sort of creative person. And so we're actually exploring this junction together and saying, okay, how do we actually take your amazing creative potential and let's build some stuff that actually can exist in perpetuity. And if you are a collector of one of our beautiful Romanian NFT eggs, or if you're, you know, an owner of a, a bison head made out of the, you know, landscape sculpture of the mountains, like you can have that piece be displayed here and then you can bring your friends to come see it. So that's kind of what we hope to, to facilitate in terms of designing experiential worlds that people can visit in regards to space and time. Chicken Waffles actually, um, I think Microsoft's bigger, biggest partner in alt VR. So they've got a club that they put almost 50,000 people through this year. They've got the first VR comedy house as well. And we have an additional partnership with a company out of LA called Baby Lion Media. And this is a Black and Latino-owned full end-to-end -end media production house. They've worked on net Marvel films, Netflix, all the good stuff. But they also have a partner group down in Argentina. And they are a, these guys are also crazy mad scientists. They're amazing. They, they're working with everyone from Google to Amazon to Tetra Pak, world's largest packaging company, to create crazy experiences. So basically, they are also partnered with Unreal Engine. So they can actually drive animals in the metaverse. You know, you can get behind the wheel of an animal and experience it. So we've got these two partners, which we hope will be along for the long, the long haul. And hopefully they're going to be the ones that carry us into the metaverse and into the whole, the new brave new world of gamification there. I know, I, guys, I have to ask you. So my, my belief is that the, the real bridge to the metaverse and enabling so many of these things is this hardware, like some kind of hardware that that's, makes it so easy for us to access the metaverse. What are your thoughts on that? Is there a product that you see in development or a company that you see leading the way that's going to help us bridge that gap? Like what's the iPhone that's going to connect us to this world? I'm going to text Jerome right now. He's the smartest metaverse VR guy I've ever met in my life. And I can't remember the name of the company, but hold on. I, I bought an Oculus during quarantine and had a chance to try it out. And I had bought the Oculus first generation when it first came out and it's gotten a lot better since then. So I think right now there's about 5 million headsets, I think in the world 
right? It's an it's a inkling, right? Like I actually met people. There's a few apps where you can actually have your own space and people can come visit you. I met a guy who was literally building his house and I came to go and hang out with him while he was building his house, telling me how he wanted to decorate it with kind of pictures of his family in, in VR. So I think we're at the very genesis grounds of this, but it's happening. It's not documented. This creative effort and the pouring in of people who want to do stuff here, like it hasn't really hit mainstream, but I think I can see the, the, the grassroots tales of it right now. And then the other part I think is super crazy is Roblox, right? So people are buying more expensive Gucci Roblox bags in Roblox than they are in physical world, which is to me kind of a, a telltale signal of like how people change their consumer behavior. Yeah, we had digital acts on and people are buying $30,000 meta jackets. And then actually in a couple of weeks, we have the Luxo CEO, co-CEO on Marjorie and they've collaborated with Chanel. So I think anything's possible and you guys are, are set up here to do some crazy stuff. We're definitely going to be watching and uh, anticipating whatever's next. In the meantime, we want to get to know you guys personally a little bit more and do some edge quick hitters, if that sounds good to you. Awesome. Sounds great, guys. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for the amazing insights. Really inspirational. So edge quick hitters are a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for just short single word or few word responses, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. And we'll just go you know, back and forth between you guys if that works for you. Max, let's start with you. What's the first thing you ever remember ever purchasing in your life? There was a book sale when I was six years old next to my house. And it was, you could buy as many books as you want in a shopping cart for $20. So I pushed shopping cart in and <laughs> loaded up with a bunch of books. Nice. It was like Schrodinger's cat in there or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of books on like advice for divorced women and stuff like that. But <laughs> that sounds like a great response to a Brown essay question. I hope you use that. <laughs> How about you, John? To be honest, it's probably one of those books at a scholastic book fair too, where you roll in with 20 bucks thinking you're a big baller and you walk out with the dumbest book that you never read. But probably one of those, if not some fries at the cafeteria. I, I have a horrible memory to begin with. So. Couldn't tell you. Probably something I could eat or consume. Yeah, probably. All right. Got it. John, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oh, well, this is being recorded, so we can't say that. No, um, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think it was a hockey stick or something. I think the neighbor kid, I think my dad was pretty upset with me because I wasn't supposed to do that. But I think it was a hockey stick. I, I genuinely feel like we're playing some road hockey, but he wanted it. I said, OK, what's well, going to cost you? And then sold it, sold him the hockey stick. <laughs> Deal was made. We've had Max quite a out. few unmentionable first sales on this podcast. <laughs> You'd be amazed, right? Max, how about you? I think it was a henna tattoo. My girlfriend in college and I started a henna business because we wanted to create kind of like cool, long-lasting, temporary, symbolic things. And we had a, a huge line on the campus to sort of get cool henna tattoos from her. Very cool. Very cool. Max, what is the most recent thing you've purchased? I think it's Probably the book I mentioned, this the Ministry of the Future. I was so excited to get a copy of it that I couldn't find a physical copy and had to buy a, a Kindle one. But in general, the most of my most of my expenditure in the last few months have been either like crypto stuff or VR games. Right on. In the right business for sure. John, how about you? It was my friend's birthday. So we went for a round of golf. But ironically enough, I had just got I was in BTC Miami for the conference making some deals and I left my wallet in an Uber on the last day. So I actually just got my wallet back on Sunday from Miami. And I don't know where it is anymore. I lost it somehow on the golf cart. <laughs> so I had to pay via some uh, Apple tap there. And Lord, I don't, nobody's charged my card yet. So it's sitting somewhere on the ninth, the ninth fairway. I don't know. Oh, man. 
Tough one. Sounds like <laughs> yeah. you need an Internet of Things marker on your wallet there. Everything I own needs to have a tile on it. Like I need GPS trackers <laughs> on everything. Otherwise, I'd lose it. We're getting a picture of your day-to-day life, John. We got it. John, what's the most recent thing you sold? Probably those NFTs. Uh, we, we sold three NFTs to a group of CryptoPunk holders uh, the other day who were inspired by what we were looking at. So we hopped on Twitter and, and sold some of our, um, our NFTs from a gentleman named Sean Barry, who is actually one of the composers for Cirque du Soleil for the last 10 years. He's a phenomenal lifelong musician and the art itself was actually... So he has an entire album dedicated to endangered species. And the art was done by a very young, amazing artist uh, out of Canada who's about 19 years old named Taylor Frost. And she does phenomenal animal pieces. So she paired up with him, did a little collab, and we sold that to some CryptoPunk holders. Right on. Very cool. Max, how about you, sir? You know, John and I are working day and night on Project Arc, so that's probably my answer to non-crypto-related stuff. I think the most recent thing we managed to sell was some carbon-neutral calculation for a data center developer. So... They're learning about how the internet is, you know, generating emissions these days. Killer sale for sure. Max, what is your most prized possession? That's for you, Max. My most prized possession, probably this over here. She's, I wish I could pick her up. She'd kill me. She's a F2 Savannah. So her grandfather was an African serval. She looks like a little leopard cat. She's nice. She's about this long and super athletic. Doesn't like me at all. Only cares for my girlfriend but definitely good to look at. So that's probably the most prized possession. <laughs> the cat. That could be the thumbnail for our YouTube video. You picking her up and her scratching you. I actually have one of those while I'm wearing my uh, tiger jacket. We use it as the shot for one of our YouTube videos that I did called Not So Fun Facts About Climate Change. I'll send you that photo. <laughs> All right, we'll be talking about that later. Yeah, nice. Max, looks like we got you back in here, brother. What is your most prized possession? I think it's a picture that I managed to get signed at, uh, when I was doing an internship at NASA Ames down in Mountain View. And it was the four astronauts that came back from the last space mission. They sort of came to visit the base and wanted to leave something. So they signed a picture of their, of their last flight. And that was actually the last shuttle before NASA basically turned off their shuttle program and then waited a few years. And now they're on SpaceX, SpaceX rockets. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Number six, Max, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience, that's currently for sale, what would it be? If I had the money to purchase it, I would probably buy all of the remaining carbon credits available in the world because that would drastically drive up the price of carbon and make a whole bunch of people carbon entrepreneurs. And I think you know that is probably the best positive way that we can incentivize people to participate these days. I dig it. Awesome. John, how about you? I've worked for the last five years with a group called the ICMSI Development Initiative. They are one of Africa's first indigenous-owned and operated nature conservancies. They fund everything from primary schools to the Maasai Mara's first library, vocational institute, anti-female gym, general mutilation, sorry, river restoration. They're one of the last true indigenous tribes of the world. You spend two hours with them and it changes your life. It's just, it feels like a, a group of people that almost feel like we lost something in the Western world and they still got it. And if I had unlimited sources, I would move myself there. I would buy up all the land so no more ranchers could take it, can't fence it off. And I would bring the Maasai Mara just kind of bring back to the people that's, I want to retire there, to be honest with you. I left my heart in Kenya. I've been back several times and that's a group that we actually hope to work with with Project Arc. That's cool. I feel like a lot of people, when we ask these questions, do genuinely want to you know, do something or buy something with a charitable component. You guys have such concrete answers and experience or you know exactly how to make a difference. So pretty awesome. Let's shift gears a little bit. Question seven. 
John, if you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? I feel like this would sound negative, but like shamelessness. It's like I have always been able to insert myself into places I probably had no qualifications being, or I have no hesitation to message the CEO of whatever. A lot of people are very afraid to take the opportunities presented to them, or they have this huge imposter complex. Well, I say fake it till you make it. So just get, <laughs> learn, say yes to everything, learn how to do it later. You know what I mean? So I would say just go for it. That type of attitude would be the one thing that I would try to impart upon the younger generation. Nice, man. Josh and I own a bold as fuck bat from Gary V's collection. So I feel like that's, uh, that's fitting for you, brother. Awesome. Max, how about you, man? If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? I think it's actually the desire to find your own answer to things. Like so much of my life has actually been guided by this sense that, you know, most of the world's sort of running on predetermined answers. But if you look beyond the vanilla statements, you sort of find a whole bunch of complexity, ambiguity, and sometimes like misinformation. And so we're living through a situation now where all the information coming into us, we've been bombarded with stuff that is maybe real, maybe not real. And I hope that, you know, anyone I get to work with, education or my physical, you know, own children, that I get, they can think on their own and investigate and not take predefined answers as a given. Yeah, reasoning from first principles, such a valuable skill that many of us lack or don't implement even if we have the ability. Indeed. So Max, then question eight, if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be? It's hard. One of the things I'm struggling with personally right now is that I have like, and and Johnny and I share this problem, actually, we have some back problems. And I think it comes from the fact that we're just like literally on devices and, and computers too long. And I hope that if I do have children that they have much healthier lives than, than I physically do at this moment, because I think that actually gives them a, a lot more vibrancy and, and ability to sort of intimately participate in all of the richness of the world. Absolutely. I know how the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual intersection, all of that all ties together. John, how about you? Procrastination. And that's probably the worst. Putting things off that could be done today. I'm sorry. I, the reason I didn't remember the question was because I was thinking about the back pain I'm currently in. My, my girlfriend's an aerospace <laughs> engineer. She's on, she's talking to way more important people than us right now in the other room. So I'm on the bed. And I'm just, that's why I was switching my legs. I'm like, oh, I got to stretch it out here. So, so yeah, no more back problems either. We got to have some better balance, work-life balance. But I think that also comes with getting the stuff you need to get done when you need to get it done and then focusing on your, your personal time elsewhere. Yeah, no, we get it. We get it. We're in the same boat. John, question nine, a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I showered and put a shirt on because I often don't like turning on my camera because then I can just be free to look however I want to look. And if anyone asked, I said, well, it's actually 99% less emissions to keep your camera recording off, just so you're aware. So I guess you're the asshole, you know? So, <laughs> so, so, so I, got, I got ready. I got ready for once. It feels nice. It feels nice. I got to go grocery shopping anyways. Awesome. Max, how about you? What'd you do just before joining us? I, I went for a swim and then I came back and was doing a lot of emails before, before this. I got it. Healthy and productive. Absolutely. Inbox zero, baby. Question 10, last one, Max, for you. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I am going to, so it's 12 o'clock here. We, we're very lucky to sort of work with a global team. So we sort of stay up pretty late. I think the next thing is to go chat up a large industrial chemicals maker in the US and try to get them to purchase carbon credits. Boom. Making Perfect. it happen, man. John, last one. Question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I've been away at my like 30 thing to do list. First, I've got to 
get a, a proposal out to create some augmented reality art pieces for the largest NFT showcase in Beijing that's happening at the end of the month. It's going to be 500 screens in a 5,000 square foot facility. It's headed up by uh, the Stratosphere DAO with Savit and Gabe Weiss and Warhoddle and those guys. So Chicken Waffle and us will be doing some, uh, some different uh, AR stuff for them. And then I've got another proposal I got to get into, Major Dream and uh, the guys down in the Caribbean working on Lux, the new Lux blockchain that just launched. And then I got to get another proposal into the WWF to be working with blockchain skins so we can create some wild companions for the blockchain gaming world. And then I might eat, maybe, I don't know, probably forget to. And uh, that's about it. Awesome. You guys are working on some really cool stuff. Amazing. Well, that was Edgequake Hitters, guys. Thanks so much for indulging us on that. Really amazing answers. Great to get to know you a little better. Max, I know we, we got you on short time here and you have to run. And if we could, though, we talked a little bit about doing a giveaway for our listeners. We'll get the details out via social here in a few days. But could you give a little background on what you were thinking? Definitely. So we have several things sort of in the works for you guys and love to really share with the incredible community you guys have. You know, again, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I think you guys are also very much, you know, mission driven people. And so there's a lot of resonance, I feel, just from the conversation. So one of our artists made a special Earth is non-fungible NFT is something that we've been able to share with the participants of the DeFi Summit and, you know, got a lot of really good feedback. It's just a nice, beautiful little thing that, you know, hangs out in your wallet that sort of, you know, looks kind of NFT-ish, but also has this message that I think reminds us of the world we live in. And then beyond that, we actually have NFTs that we've created for the WWF. They are Romanian eggs that actually hatch and contain other art NFTs. So we have anywhere from the sort of bronze egg all the way to the platinum ones. And we'll work with the podcast team to figure out how do we get a few eggs into the hands of the listeners and then have them be eligible to join the sort of extended you know, offline, you know, physical safari type experiences and the online art experiences we have. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. So we'll get the details out via social media to everybody. Thanks so much. It's very generous of you. And I think people will really be interested in the giveaway. So Max, appreciate your time for sure. John, you have a few minutes to hang on and do some hot topics with us after Max heads out. No worries. Awesome. Awesome. And Max, how do people reach you if they want to get a hold of you? Social handles, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, on Twitter, I'm at uh, P-E-R-I-C-A-R-U-S. I'll send this. I mean, obviously we'll have like probably links to this and things. So on Twitter, I have a handle. We also respond very actively on the Carbon Base and Project Arc Twitter accounts. And then please shoot us an email. My email is just max at carbonbase.co. And, you know, love to meet all the incredible people who find this episode interesting and feel like they're, they want to be involved in any of this. Awesome. Thank you again, Max. It was great having you on. Guys, thank you so much. It was a big pleasure. You know, I think hopefully we'll, we'll be able to talk more, you know, outside the podcast itself. You guys are fabulous, amazing individuals. And I really appreciate all of the time you guys have in, in creating this journey, actually, for John and I to go through. So love to be in touch and many thanks. Same to you, sir. Same to you. Talk soon, buddy. All right. Let's hit some hot topics. Sounds exciting. So first hot topic on the agenda here. Can I sell this, this article, of course, article subject. Can I sell this as an NFT? A lawyer answers 10 questions about NFTs. So some of the things that maybe our audience has gathered, I know probably the three of us understand some of these things, but some things covered in this article, you know, for example, you know, when you buy an NFT, do you actually own the rights, the license to use the thing that you're buying the NFT for? 
you know, and of course the answer to that is, well, not really. Well, no, you don't, <laughs> but you can, right? NFTs can come with legal agreements that you own the rights to an image or a music file or a movie file or whatever, and the rights to exploit it economically. But for the most part, a lot of these big sales that we've seen do not come with those type of rights. They just come with sort of the provenance, right? The sort of bragging rights and things like that. Any other interesting things you guys found out about in this one? Yeah, I mean, this is a great evolving sort of discussion. And I think there's some projects that are trying to make NFTs a little bit more meaningful. I, I talked to someone recently that's using NFTs as a transaction, proof of transaction for land deeds. And that's very tangible and, and very real. In addition to that, we just posted on Twitter, some of the guys we know are behind EcoFi are fractionizing real art. I was literally in front of a Pablo Picasso that's going to go in a vault and be fractionalized as an NFT. And the only, it cannot be sold at that point. The value is in the fractions of the NFT. The only way that someone can sell that art is they have to buy all the fractions up and then they can take possession of the art. Otherwise, it's locked in a safe with insurance. So I do think that folks are realizing the importance of real sort of possession of art and that people are getting more creative here in solving some of the problems that come up in this article. You've got a Frida Kahlo in that group as well, right? What's that? I think there was a Frida Kahlo in that group oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, Some really beautiful pieces. Yeah, like, just as an aside, guys, and we'll have these guys on the show. They're really cool. Like, I was in a room with like some of the great masterworks of our time all in one room and talk about residents. It was absolutely incredible. And the idea that every human being can own these pieces of art in fractions, I think, is, is just sort of one example of the power of NFTs to go beyond what everyone likes to say is just this JPEG file that doesn't really have value. That's not really the case anymore. Yeah. One of the things there was a question about was parody law, which a lot of people use, especially like if you look on YouTube, they'll you know, provide commentary about other videos or, or IP released by other people and things like that. So it falls under this fair use law, but courts like interpret these things on a case by case basis. There's no like blanket way to, to actually handle that stuff. And even like YouTube's AI, it, it identifies you know, things that are considered, you know, copyright infringement and will remove it just automatically, right? <clears throat> it's really hard to get live people to review this stuff. And this is something I think that we haven't seen a ton of yet in NFTs, but it's coming up, it's bubbling up a good amount where you're using other people's IP, but running it through kind of like a parody, a commentary or, or some kind of feedback as a third party and then selling that, right? So it's an interesting thing. The issue with it for a lot of like big brand things or like whether it's a media company or a company like Nike or something like that is they just always have a staff of attorneys constantly looking for anything that infringes on their IP. And I have a funny example of that. Back when I first got into the, the food space over a decade ago, it was via a food truck. And one of the things we were doing on my food truck is we like basically outlined the whole damn thing and industrial Velcro. And in five minutes, we could change the entire branding on the truck. We had signs, big plexiglass signs that would, would change the branding. And one of the things that we did was called bubble wrap. It was bubble tea and summer rolls, right? Little fun concept, right? And within a month of getting our Twitter up and running and everything, I started getting pinged by uh, bubble wrap, the company for infringing on their IP. And it's like, 
it's not even, I mean, it doesn't touch it, obviously, right? I have nothing to do with shipping. Like I should be able to, to, to use this name for a food company. It has nothing to do with it. But they were so aggressive in trying to get this thing shut down. It was amazing. I was just like, wow, this is what these guys do all day long is look for anything close. Yeah, man, Jeff, that reminds me of our friend in apparel that created a name for his t-shirt brand that conflicted with a campaign that Calvin Klein had run 10 years prior. They had not used that terminology anywhere. And they basically, you know, forced his hand to change the name of his company after they were sort of a year in existence. I feel like this shit is coming down the pike in NFTs in a big way. And also, I think, as you guys know, there are companies within the space that have a ton of IP around NFTs. And the second they decide to start enforcing it, I think people are going to have a rude awakening. Before we move on to the next topic, yeah, John, have you, I mean, clearly the carbon emissions issue has a lot of legal implications. I don't know how that intersects with NFT, but have you seen anything interesting in law? It's like the law doesn't even exist. It changes from country to country, region to region, EU versus North America. Like it's, it's just the law's got to catch up and law goes a lot slower than people can, quote unquote, innovate things that they want to do in the art space, the NFT space. So there is a wonderful lawyer named Esther Bob that we are working with from a company called Monax. And they can do 16 line code API that gives like really ironclad IP protection to all of the creatives that mint on a platform. So she can put that API into any marketplace and it just sort of takes care of it on the back end. She was former Goldman Sachs. She was introduced to us by our head of uh, climate investment. who used to be executive director of Goldman Sachs. So she's got the goods. She knows what she's talking about. And this, she's trying to kind of pioneer a bit of the space legally because again, it's, I think it's going to take some crafty lawyers, just like it takes crafty accountants to hide all the rich people money, just like we'll take crafty lawyers to figure out what's real and what's not in this space. And until the dust settles in five years, I genuinely think that there will be constant precedents set as new and innovative like you know, ways to handle things come along. I do think that NFTs in the corporate space is going to advance this quite a bit. I know that one of the largest essential oil companies in the world is NFT to actually track on the supply chain to ensure that there's consumer protection, that it's, people can actually check if it's a knockoff or not, because they're having huge problems with that on Amazon. So, you know what I mean? They're, they're, once the big money gets behind it, I think that the, the, we'll, we'll have special interest groups that are fighting regulators to get the, the little loopholes closed up. So we'll see what it looks like in a year, two years, three years, and four. You know, interesting overlap with all of this and what you guys are doing. I urge the audience to look up what is it? Monkey selfie copyright dispute. Apparently there was a picture that was that a guy claimed ownership of, but that was taken by a monkey who was holding his camera. And I think in the end, they decided that he actually did not have the rights to the image because the monkey was the one who pressed the button when the photo was taken. So who knows? Be careful when you're... <laughs> I've seen that one. It's the monkey selfie smiling right in the camera. It's a, it's a funny photo, but I would have been pretty angry with that. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly, yeah. Okay, anyways, let's hit on the next topic that was very interesting to explore. The next one is a web source code NFT, which was sold for US 5.4 million, contained a serious error. So apparently, what is this? Miko Hippinen, a Finnish security researcher, identified a serious issue with the code in the visualization that would have prevented it from being compiled and run. So gosh, I guess this speaks to just like the integrity of the NFTs that you buy. And, and you know, is that, do you own the error version or do you own the error-free version? 
if you bought that NFT for that much money? <laughs> Is there some sort of uh, reconciliation that you have a right to there? Yeah. So for me, like if, if we're saying, is it something or nothing on this one? For me, I'm saying it's nothing because in this case, the provenance, the the fact that it came from the guy that actually wrote the code originally. Now he took a, a picture of the code and then sold that along with all kinds of other stuff, right? It's like uh, the history of, of the code and there's some video associated with it and some other cool things. Like to me, it's the source that is the real value here. The guy that actually wrote the code originally, not like whether or not you can take that code from the image and deploy it and compile it properly. So for me, that's a nothing. I don't mind it. I think 5.4 million, that's the market value of what he listed, you know? So that's my take. Yeah. Well, you know, you can always count on, on some stickler though, to find the typos and make a big deal of it. <laughs> Anything else on that one? We can move on to the next one. Let's see. All right. So next hot topic up for grabs here is hot topic time machine here. Let's see. Tiger King Joe Exotic launches NFT auction from a prison cell. Tiger King star Joe Exotic, latest celebrity to try and take advantage of the popularity of NFTs by launching a range of for auction from his prison cell in Texas, teaming up with more a cryptocurrency platform and membership club to offer cryptocurrency-themed digital artworks, 15 digital trading cards, and authentic audio recordings from prison for sale interesting overlap here what we talked about wildlife and such so i mean what's the problem with it i think we all love <laughs> the tiger king you know in a morbid way in a very morbid way but what is the is are people having an issue with launching a company from prison because i'm fairly certain that martha stewart's empire still continued when she was in prison and i'm fairly certain that there are multitudes of other people that whose business interests continue in prison the man has a brand I don't know if there's a charitable aspect included in what he's trying to do. I would assume that maybe he might have an angle like that. But if somebody wants to capitalize on their brand from prison, I mean, there's a multitude of other people he'll be employing and feeding, I'd imagine, in the process. So, I mean, what he did and like the the zoo that he ran is 100%. I mean, we should close all zoos in, in reality. So I, if we're talking about the the issue of people in prison actually being allowed to capitalize on their brand, I personally think more power to them. If they can help their friends and family and employ them around it. I mean, obviously we don't want murderers doing the same, but well, I guess he was charged with something (laughs) along the lines. I probably put my foot in my mouth. I shouldn't say anything about it. I just think that it was a great show. It was a very entertaining show. We all agreed. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's what he's doing in prison, right? He was was trying to set up, uh, set up old, uh, was it Carol Caston? But yeah, I don't know, man. Like it's interesting, right? Um, I did wait. I just, uh, I'm, just yeah. I'm f- somewhat familiar with the Tiger King. I know he was like kind of a kooky personality and I know that he like, I didn't know he was in prison. <laughs> John, I think you mentioned him earlier, right? Didn't you say you had? You just got to watch the Netflix show, Ethan. And I think the the thing for me here is Tiger King kept us entertained while COVID was sort of running rampant and it was a, a sort of a difficult time. And once again, the Tiger King has risen from the ashes to keep us entertained during a mini crypto winter. So I think there's some real synergy here with the timing. I think his timing is usually on point. <laughs> That's just it, right? It was like it was like the train wreck you couldn't look away from, right? Again, like his treatment of animals, Carol Baskin is no better. Roadside zoos are the are not, you know, the London Zoo or the Toronto Zoo. They're not multi-million dollar institutions that have a, a large part to play in breeding programs or studying of animals. It's a roadside zoo. So 
that was bad, but for the love of God, he gave us some good zingers that summer. We the he was like it was like Anchorman all over again from the two thousands. You just had like great quotes for a while. <laughs> so so more power to him. And I, again, I'd imagine there's a number of people that are being fed from it. So we're heading into a bear market. Everybody got to get employed. There's sort of a there's sort of a cultural take one for the team pattern I see here. Was you know there's certain personalities that just get dig themselves into a a hole, but you know. Gosh darn it, isn't it great to watch them like <laughs> suffer through it? <laughs> and we do, especially in the United States, I think have some respect for that, in, at least until it crosses a certain line where we then have to create some sort of giant shaming of them via the internet. <laughs> well, well, I got to say here, guys, as we're, we're talking about this, there's going to be a John McAfee sort of coin dedicated to figuring out what really happened there. Like, that's my prediction. This airs in about 10 days. If it hasn't happened by then, I'll be very surprised. Oh, yeah. We're not. We, yeah, we didn't put that on our hot topics, but that is definitely something hot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. There's some security issues. <laughs> I'm in a couple of Telegram groups with some heavy crypto natives, and they were posting all the links to the blogs and the terabyte dumps. And I don't know what's true. Maybe you guys can elaborate. Or has there been information dumped via a whacked coin or something like that? Is there something like that? I don't know. It turned into a Q, QAnon conspiracy nonsensical tirade. So I just tuned out. But, but I was trying to learn about it for an hour or two to be like, oh, what the hell's going on here? But I mean, hey, whatever it takes down the powers that be, I'm all for it. John McAfee, I didn't know much about him before all this is going down, but have definitely been maybe doing more research than typical as other people might. But fascinating character. Did not realize he was deeply into yoga as well. And, and I think he opened some sort of yoga center and maybe even published a book on the topic. But certainly a complicated and entertaining character, to say the least, if not extremely intelligent. Most definitely. Well, I guess that wraps Hot Topics. Thanks for playing with us, John. Good stuff. Fun stuff. So before we close out, I know we mentioned it for, for Max, but uh, for yourself, man, where can, where can folks go to, to follow you and the projects you're working on? So at We Are Project Dark is our Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us there. Pretty active on, on Twitter. My own is Johnny089. You can follow me there, but that's mostly just me, me being a buffoon from here time and time again, you know, around uh, just Instagram. But basically, I would say join the Discord, follow us on Twitter. We have a pipeline of years and years of projects, and I think that there's going to be something for everyone. There are ocean conservation projects, indigenous right projects. There's a really exciting one. We'll be working with Emmy award-winning filmmaker from National Geographic. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the documentary, Fantastic Fungi, but they'll be documenting how these 2,000-year-old trees talk to one another through the mycelial fungus in the soil. And we'll be using LAR and sound, plant wave technology that records plant biorhythms. We'll be NFTing that. We're talking to all the big auction houses. We've got Soho House in a negotiation to do some shows. The sky's the limit. And right now, the number one thing we need is just more community, more people that share our mission, share our ethos, that want to support us, that want to participate. Like we, we're facilitating our, we're finally getting our technology in line and, and getting our onboarding process in line where we want anyone and everyone who wants to help to be able to help. This is a world that we share, a species and an environment that we are obligated to steward. And if anyone wants to give back to the power of their art or to collect that art, we're here for it. We are always, always here for it. So hop onto our website, project-arc.co as well. You can learn more there. That's where our listeners can stay up to speed with this collection around plants talking. And I can attest, I actually went 
to a sound healing event in Venice, California, because this is where stuff like this happens, where the sound healer plugged up an amp system to a plant and the plant actually led the sound healing session for us. And I felt pretty good after that. So maybe there's something to what you're saying. It's 100% is actually a lot of our NFTs in our Genesis drop have 8D binaural sound that are mastered to fit right around the head. You know, you can feel it and it incorporates plant wave technology that records some of the droning in the background. So some pieces, you don't know what kind of vibe it's going to give you. Some pieces it works great. Other times you're like, I don't know about that. And then all of a sudden you put it all together and it's amazing. And yeah, apparently they connect to the, the oxygen in the room and, and the breathing of who's in the room and, and the energy, like, like the various sort of connected to their environment. I had a meeting with the CEO of Plant Wave two days ago, and we are going to be hopefully formalizing a partnership moving forward, but they can record any biorhythms of any living thing. So there's lots of new and exciting technology coming out there as well, too. Well, we appreciate it, man. Really appreciate you being on. For our audience, be sure to tune in next week as Josh and Ethan will be broadcasting from Puerto Rico, where they're traveling to uncover the world's best pina coladas, tastiest tostones, and of course, the most secluded powdered beaches. So we have, though, for today, reached the outer limits at the edge of NFT. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. John, thanks again for sharing all your insights. And we look forward to continuing the conversation offline. Right on. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I look forward to watching it and great talking to you. All right. Great time. Absolutely. Take care, guys.